from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. South Bay Congresswoman Jackie Speer wants protections for whistleblowers who expose fraud or waste in the federal response to COVID-19. Coming up on Forum, we'll talk with her about the proposal and efforts in Washington to address police violence. Then at 9.30, a new investigation by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting looks at different early responses to coronavirus in two states, California and Florida. We'll talk with two reporters on the piece about their findings and what it all means for reopening the economy. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Representative Jackie Speer has recently introduced legislation to protect whistleblowers who expose fraud, waste, or abuse in the federal government's response to the coronavirus pandemic. And she joins us to talk about her new legislation, also the lack of progress in fighting sexual assault in the military, and how she thinks the Black Lives Matter protests can lead to lasting change in America. Welcome back to Forum, Jackie Speer. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. And you are as well. I uh, got to see you in uh, the Chronicle in your pajamas. We'll talk about that momentarily. Okay. But <laughs> let's, let, let's talk, first of all, though, about the fact that when there's massive government spending like this, there's often massive fraud and waste and abuse. And I know that you and uh, Senator Kamala Harris, as well as Representative Jamie Raskin of Maryland, have put together a bill about protection for whistleblowers. And we're talking about really trying to bar retaliatory acts against them, but also uh, bar employers uh, from bringing slap suits. Correct. And we have never in the history of this country uh, experienced this kind of expenditure of money over such a short period of time with, frankly, not very much oversight or transparency. So the extent to which we have uh, employees of contractors who've received large sums of money that are misusing it or uh, conducting it in a fashion that would rise the level of fraud. We want them to be able to come forward and be protected. Oftentimes contractors of the federal government do not have the same whistleblower protections that a federal employee does. We've had some problems in government with protecting whistleblowers, inspectors general and impeachment uh, come to rapidly to mind. To think that we have had the number of inspector generals who have uh, been fired because they were doing their job it is really, um, you know, tantamount to um, the kind of conduct that one engages when they are, you know, promoting an autocratic regime. Can you, uh, ha- or, well, let me put it this way. Do you have Republicans signing on to this? Or are you getting anything across the aisle? Well, we have, um, we have not yet, but um, I am optimistic that we will because you know, it's kind of hard to argue against wanting to protect those who come forward and want to point out where there's been waste, fraud, or abuse of taxpayer funds. And we're talking about trillions of dollars here. I mean, the the federal budget is um, starting to look pale compared to the amount of money that we have um, tried to incentivize uh, in the economy to prop it up and to uh, protect local businesses and the unemployed. 
Talking with Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who represents California's 14th Congressional District and serves on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and the House Armed Services Committee and the House Oversight Committee. And uh, I asked you about working across the aisle because uh, a letter has gone out to uh, Secretary of Defense Esper from you and Mississippi Republican Trent Kelly, which goes back to almost a decade ago, a measure that was put into force, one would have thought, and was ready to be implemented against sexual harassment and assault in the military. It seemed like, uh, well, you were getting essentially affirmation from that. Uh, what, what has caused it to stall so long? Well, you know, in many respects, when I started working this issue back in 2010, there was no traction on this issue. It was ignored. And um, to be able to now say that Republicans um, on the other side of the aisle recognize that the military uh, has not done its job is is a huge step forward. Now, I have wanted for a long time to take these out of the chain of command um, because there is just inherent conflict of interest, um, whether the commander is afraid to charge for rape or sexual assault or sexual harassment because it reflects poorly on them for promotion purposes if they're not in control of their unit or whether they know the assailant or maybe they are the assailant. So, um, I continue to want to, to change it um, dramatically. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but we're getting closer. And certainly the emphasis on this issue within the military and among the leadership of the military has grown immeasurably uh, since uh, I started on this issue area. You're just asking for oversight, really, aren't you? And monitoring uh, to reduce the problem? Because the problem actually went up 10% between in number of complaints between 2018-2019. Oh, yeah. And, and what's even worse, Michael, is the fact that in the military academies, it is an astonishing number. 50% um, of uh, the women report that they are sexually harassed. Um, the incidence of sexual assault has actually gone up. And I have um, attempted uh, to uh, try and use the academies as a model and say, all right, let's just take these cases and have uh, a prosecutor make a determination rather than the commanding officer or the superintendent of the academy. Um, and while it got through the House version of the National Defense Authorization Act, when it went to con Congress, excuse me, when it went to conference, it um, was taken out because you know, the NDAA is more a vision of what the military wants than what the Congress expects. And that has been a, a problem for a very long time. And that's in part why the budget has ballooned so much in recent years. Um, you know, most of the members that serve on the Armed Services Committee have bases in their district or defense contractors in their district. So it's logical that they're going to want to protect those jobs. Uh, for their constituents. And the result is that uh, there's not, I think, the aggressive oversight that I would like to see. Again, our guest is Jackie Spear, Congresswoman. And uh, you can talk with uh, Congresswoman Spear. In fact, uh, we're going to talk with her about policing and a number of other things, as I said in the introduction. But if you have a question for her, or if you'd like to join this conversation, you can do so now by calling us at our toll-free number. The number to call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786, or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email any questions you might have to forum at kqed.org. I want to ask you, uh, Congresswoman, about policing, but before I get there, uh, I wonder what your reaction was 
to the shooting deaths of two law enforcement officers and whether you think any of the committees you're sitting on should hold hearings in the cases? Well, whether it's the shooting of law enforcement officers or shooting of uh, persons, you know, running away from law enforcement officers, um, you know, we are a society that recognizes the rule of law. And I think um, they all need to be investigated. But will the House Oversight Committee or, for that matter, House Armed Services Committee do any investigation or an Intelligence Committee? Uh, are, you, are you referring to the actual case of the Oakland uh, security guard that was shot by a military person? Yeah, it, who actually shot and killed a, a, a security right. uh, officer um, and, actually, and is yes, now being charged so. with a killing in Ben Lomond as well. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, you know, one of the things that I worry about within um, the military is that uh, people who are, um, you know, related in some manner to the commander, whether they're good friends or the son of or the daughter of, uh, they uh, are not necessarily, the military justice system doesn't necessarily treat them uh, equally. Uh, we had a hearing yesterday on the racial disparities in the military justice system. So in this particular case, I'm particularly concerned about red flags. Uh, how many incidents of uh, actions or activity by this particular individual um, were accounted for before and he was allowed to stay in the military? Um, you know, that oftentimes is what ha we have persons serving in the military right now who are members of white supremacist groups and who are not just members, but they solicit other members. And I find that just reprehensible. And I have an amendment in the Authorization Act this year to require that they be um, dishonorably discharged. Now, there needs to be more, definitely more uh, work and more vigilance on that score. Uh, let's get to police reform, though, because the Republicans have put forward some form which uh, the Democrats have been critical of uh, make lynching a federal crime uh, to have a database to uh, eliminate chokeholds, but only on a voluntary basis. I, I think the, 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 this, the sense from those in your party is this just these reforms don't go far enough. So that is true. They do not go far enough. But I must say that there is a, you know, a sliver of hope here that these two bills can be negotiated into a a compromise that can be passed by both houses that is, in fact, meaningful reform. And, you know, if you had asked me uh, six weeks ago, would we get a bill passed by both houses that uh, prohibits lynching or requires a special commission on African-American men and boys, um, I would say impossible. Um, both of those provisions are in both bills now. Now, clearly, the database in the uh, justice and policing measure now named after George Floyd uh, is much more robust than the one on the Senate side. And uh, I think that needs to be negotiated. But we're moving in the right direction for the first time in you know, a half a century. What about the president's executive order? I want to get your response on that. Uh, it introduces several police reforms, but rejects calls to defund or dismantle the police. And again, there's been criticism uh, as far as the Republicans are concerned with not really saying enough or doing enough about what we could call the virus and the toxicity of racism. Uh, 
I think the the president's uh, executive order is a fig leaf. I mean, he had to do something. People are rioting in the streets across the country. He's putting up barricades in front of the White House. Um, you know, he had to do something. So he uh, signs his executive order um, that doesn't outlaw the use of chokeholds. Um, it creates a database, but it's very weak in terms of um, what has to be in the database. It's, um, it, it comes out an, uh, anonymous and aggregated. So, you know, you're not able to track the bad actors. Uh, so, uh, you know, I would say that his executive order is just something that he can, you know, hold up and say, look what I've done. Um, and, you know, he is also being very clear about, I'm a law and order president. You elected a law and order president. I'm your law and order president. He is flailing because, you know, he is, he's tanking in the polls now. Uh, and I think he's just trying to, you know, put band-aids on the dike. Again, if you'd like to join us with Congresswoman Spear, you are welcome to do that now. Toll free at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. Here's Rod in Pacifica. Rod, you're on. Good morning. Yes. Hello, Rod. Uh, are you there? Are you there? Yeah, Rod, I go sure ahead. Am. Okay. Uh, first, I'd like to compliment uh, Congresswoman Spear and her staff, particularly Brian Perkins. Uh, I'm a registered Republican, and every time I have a problem, your staff is right on it, prompt, thoughtful. It's not only impressed me, it's impressed a lot of my friends. Your folks do a great job. Well, now job. I'm going to have to give him a raise. <laughs> yeah. Which he won't yeah. take, mind you. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> uh, question I have is uh, you brought up how much money this is all cost. You've been around Washington as long as anybody and are experienced in the fiscal side of things. What do you think is going to be our way to pay down the debt that we're incurring now? And I'll take my answer so, off to you. All right. Thank you for okay. the question, Ryan. Good to hear from you. Congresswoman? Uh, I, there's, you know, a number of ways we're going to, to have to pay back down this debt. Um, but it really starts before this extraordinary economic uh, downturn. It starts with an incredible tax cut that was offered to, you know, the top one and a half percent back in 2017. So um, I think part of this will be, um, handled with, um, you know, using the opportunity to relook at some of the taxes that are not imposed. For instance, uh, there is no tax on the uh, actual purchase of a share of stock. Um, most Americans don't purchase stocks. Uh, you know, this is a very small sliver of the population. Um, everything else is taxed, but for some reason, uh, we don't tax stocks. Hedge funds. Hedge fund income is not taxed as normal income. Um, and there, as a result, uh, it is, uh, you know, a, a, another source, I think, of funds. Um, you could look at other entities as well. You look at the cruise ship industry, which I have my uh, laser focus on now. Um, they pay like 1% tax. Carnival Lines pays a income tax of 1% in this country because they register all their vehicles in other countries, even though the top three 
cruise ship companies are uh, located, their headquarters are located in Florida. So uh, there's lots of opportunities there. Um, and the other thing is we really have to look at our military budget. It is very, very full right now. It is, the, it is I think, too, too, um, too full in terms of uh, what we have offered up. And I think we, there's some savings there as well. You know, most of our wars of the future, and hopefully they are not any, are, are not going to be fought with um, the same kind of equipment that we fought World War II or the Vietnam War with. And yet that's what we're still building. Question for you, Congresswoman, from a listener named Edie, who says, please support a ban on use of lethal weapons by police on civilians, including tear gas, rubber bullets and batons. Uh, are you in support of that? I I would like to look at it um, in greater detail. I'm predisposed to support um, something like that because, I mean, first of all, the use of rubber bullets to me um, is repugnant. Um, the use of tear gas, while not um, lethal either, um, is, I think, uh, I, I keep seeing that child uh, and that video of that child who was tear gassed and people pouring milk on that child. And I, I feel there's, there's gotta be another way. I think of the umbrellas being used in Seattle to prevent people who were peacefully protesting from being tear gassed. So um, yes, I, I would consider that. I'd wanna hear more from the other side, uh, but um, I'm, I'm predisposed to be supportive. And back to inspectors general, Gary writes, uh, Trump's purging of inspectors generals uh, is an alarm bell. This alarm warns us about Trump's intention to subvert democracy. This must be a priority in the Congress for Democrats and Republicans. You know, when all is said and done, Michael, we're going to have to go back and look at all the laws on the books that we thought um, protected us against uh, what would be described as dictatorial action. Um, and clearly it has not. Um, I don't think that inspectors general should um, necessarily uh, be removed from one administration to another. And now some would argue, but yes, you want your own, but you know, give them a 10 year life cycle so they can show their independence. You want these inspectors generals to be independent. And um, if they are concerned about whether or not they're gonna keep their job, um, they're not going to do their job. Uh, I, we had a, a hearing with uh, Mr. Linick of the Department of State Inspector General's office. And I mean, what he was looking at was the abuse of power by the Secretary of State in terms of uh, the sale of weapons to Saudi Arabia under a uh, bogus argument of emergency use and also his... Um, use of his office for what he called Madison dinners, which were, you know, self-promotion and campaign related. Uh, and for those reasons, uh, Mr. Pompeo contacts the president, says, you know, get rid of him. And the president does that. Let's talk about the president for a moment. Uh, we're talking to Congresswoman Jackie Speer and his threat to call out active duty soldiers to keep order in U.S. cities, particularly brought about by the Seattle so-called occupation. National Guard is in some places, but no governor has actually followed the president here. And I'm looking at a statement you made where you said, 
he is uh, creating a self-fulfilling prophecy by taking volatile, uh, volatile, um, excuse me, situations uh, amid peaceful protests and lacing them with gasoline and dynamite. I, I really think that the president's use of the National Guard against uh, the American people is um, fundamentally against everything this country stands for. To see um, National Guard and soldiers um, from our military standing on the steps of the uh, Lincoln Memorial um, spoke to me of a police state. and. Um, how is this any different than what's going on in the Philippines, for instance? How, truly, how is this any different? Um, I, I think we are, are so numb to the attacks on our Constitution and our personal freedoms because it's been going on now nonstop for over three years that we um, were exhausted by it. And... Uh, that's not the time to lay down and let that kind of conduct be acceptable. But you've said that you're hopeful about this movement, if it is indeed a movement, and it appears to be the protests that are going on. Oh, I, I think that I think we're living a moment in history, much like the civil rights mo movement was. I, I was reading this morning some of the civil rights leaders who are now in their 80s. Uh, Andrew Young said, you know, he's he's just can't believe that so much has happened so quickly. And he attributes it to social media and cell phones. And when you think about it, um, all of this has happened in part because a young woman took a video of George Floyd dying in front of our eyes. Um, and then you look at many of these other cases. It's the video that... Um, that shocks us. Before we had the video, before we had the um, the cam uh, recorders for police, um, they just wrote whatever they wanted to. I mean, they even did that with uh, Breonna Taylor. They said there was no um, break-in, um, that there was no injuries, and she'd been shot eight times. We've come, alas, to the end of this segment with you, and I wanted to ask you about that picture of you in your pajamas, uh, as I said in the beginning of our interview here. You're concerned, though, about uh, congressional representatives living in their offices? That's what that was all about? Yeah. So, you know, it started out with just a, a handful. It's now over 100 members of the House of Representatives uh, living in their offices, uh, including um, Kevin McCarthy and before him, Paul Ryan. And, you know, it's a use of a public space, which was never intended for a dual purpose. And I, I worry about the impacts on the staff. And, you know, there was a case where one of the members of Congress was, you know, talking with one of his staff members in his pajamas. Um, I'm have he to also leave it there. having a, a sexual harassment. Um, we'll have to pick up there another time. Thank you for joining us, Congresswoman. <laughs> Good to have you. Thank I'm Michael Krasny. Michael.